You're listening to American Grit, America's raw and uncensored podcast. My name's Tim Jensen. I'm a Marine Corps veteran, entrepreneur, and co-owner of Grunt Style Apparel. And we're here to talk about all the bullshit mainstream media won't touch with a stick by sharing information that directly impacts our community, our well-being, and our destiny as Americans. Well, hello, Grunt Style. We're here today with a special group of my favorite friends uh, to have a, a, a very unique conversation, right? Um, you know, this is the first time we've ever done anything like this within the company. Um, you know, so, you know, this is this is groundbreaking. Um, and it really is going to put a focus on a conversation that's happening within the veteran community and active duty military uh, that I believe is absolutely important, right? We have to change. We have a responsibility um, as a company. Uh, we have a responsibility as uh, veterans um, to to really shape and be part of conversations uh, where where we need to be part of those things, and I believe you know this is an opportunity for us uh, as uh, as Grunt Style uh, to get involved in a conversation, much like we did with the PACT Act uh, that was affecting so many different people across the nation here. Um, very, very much the same. Um, you know, military sexual trauma uh, the, is, 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 is something that's happening within uh, the United States military right now that is devastating. And it's not just to men and women, right? This, uh, or women, uh, and it's happening to men as well. Uh, so this is a, this is a problem uh, that we need to really have a conversation about. So over the next couple of weeks, you're going to see American Grit delivering uh, content that we've been producing over the last couple of weeks, uh, speaking directly to this. And it started with Janae Sergio. Um, well, that conversation started with Janae Sergio, but it really started with Vanessa Guillen. And with me today, I have Myra Guillen, uh, Vanessa's sister. Uh, we have uh, Stephanie Godditz uh, from uh, the Pink Berets uh, as well. Uh, and we're going to have a, a, a bit of a roundtable conversation for the next 45 minutes or so uh, and talking about why this is important. Uh, we're going to share some um, some some deep stories, right? Um, and we're going to have a, a, a very uncomfortable conversation, uh, but I think it's necessary, right? And, and we're also going to celebrate something today um, on on Myra's side. Uh, today's Vanessa's birthday, uh, and she would have been how old today? 23 years old. 23 years old, and she's been gone with from us for about three years now. So, um, and if you guys have not heard uh, of the Vanessa Guillen uh, story, you're going to hear it today. So, uh, I'm only going to be participating in, in this. I'm not going to be leading it. Uh, my friend, uh, Janae Sergio, is going to be leading this conversation. Uh, so, I'm going to hand it over to her and, um, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, and we'll go around the table and, and learn about uh, everybody here. And then we'll uh, get into some really good questions. Awesome. Thank you, Tim. Thank you for allowing us to, to share our story, our experience, and really just to help educate on your platform. We appreciate that. Um, my name is Janae Sergio. I'm best-selling author of Perfectly Flawed uh, book. I, in my book, I share my story of going from homeless to hero, uh, my own hero. I had to be at 16 years old when my mom dropped me off at a homeless shelter. I had to hurry up and step up and be my own hero. I realized nobody was coming to save me. And in order for me to avoid attempts to lure me into sex trafficking as well as drug addiction, I was really going to have to step in and make decisions that aligned with what I didn't want, which was to be lured into those types of situations. At um, 18 years old, I joined the Navy from a homeless shelter and um, I was so excited. I thought I'm finally gaining a family. 
And I go into boot camp, and the first thing I learn is really that you got to rely on, you know, the men and women to the right and left of you, and they're going to protect you, and you're in this new safe space. And so, you know, I had my guard up for so long in life that I finally decided to go ahead and let my guard down. And I really trusted the people around me because that's what I was taught to do in boot camp. And I'll, and I'll get into how that impacted me and how it impacts the MST um, community in the future in a little while. But um, I let my guard down and within six months, I ended up actually being sexually assaulted while I was on a Navy sponsored MWR trip. In that moment, when I was sexually assaulted, in the moment I kicked the person off of me, I screamed for help. I asked for my superior who was chaperoning the trip to come in the room and to call the police. So he comes in the room and he essentially silences me. He says, if we report this, if we call the police, everybody here is gonna go get in trouble um, because you guys were drinking and you're gonna be back on the streets where you came from. Of course, I didn't want that, so I stayed quiet. And it took about a year for them to finally take this person to court martial. Sorry, uh, fast forward, somebody went and reported him on my behalf. Um, it took about a year for it to finally go to court martial. And even though he admitted what he had done, he still got off. He still got freed and he still got to go back and serve as a predator in the military. And so I had to kind of live with that and, and cope with that throughout my life. And I was able to like, again, though, with the, the hero mindset and not becoming a victim to the situation, I just continued to succeed in spite of what had happened to me. And that was held against me at court martial. But, you know, they said, if you're doing so well, then, um, you, it, this must not have hurt you that bad is what they said to me as I was sitting on the stand in court martial testifying on my own behalf. And um, so I, I just continued to just succeed in spite of what has happened. And over the past few years, I've been able to gain a, a social media following where I have a platform and an opportunity to share my story as well as elevate voices of other people. And so that's that's what I've been kind of doing. And that's what brings us here. Um, so again, thank you for, for giving me the opportunity to be here and to help with, with this important discussion. Excellent, excellent. Stephanie. Yes, Stephanie Gathas, the Pink Berets founder. Um, it is a organization that focuses on women who are um, struggling with their invisible injuries. Um, invisible injuries can be anything from post-traumatic stress to traumatic brain injuries. And as we are all hearing about today, uh, military sexual trauma. It is still very prevalent. And so it does keep us very busy in terms of being able to offer services for women, um, whether it's a retreat or whether it's equine therapy or art therapy. You know, we find ways to help women connect and heal, um, but also to really start to develop their sense of normalcy, especially because they've been through a traumatic event. Um, so the Pink Parade really focuses on ensuring that we continue to help the women that are coming to us for that assistance. Um, I can tell you that since we started in 2015, we never expected that a large percentage of the women that enter our organization or cross our threshold are MST survivors. And I say survivors because they survived a very traumatic event. Um, some women didn't. So I think it's very important to highlight that, you know, the women that are MST survivors are still fighting to um, 
find their own sense of what a normal lifestyle looks to them once again, right? To feel like the person they were before the trauma took place. So um, I'm a very focused advocate. Um, I work very heavily on the side of legislation because I know that that's what it's going to take to change the narrative. But I also know that that's what it's going to take in order for us to secure a better future for those that are entering the military. No one should have to fear wanting to serve their country based on a sexual assault um, or even sexual harassment. So I think that as long as we continue focusing on what's important, then we'll be able to develop a stronger military in that sense. Because if you think about it, you know, I know we've been told this many times, um, stay out of the military if you know you don't want to be assaulted. And that should not be what we're told. Instead, we should be able to support our sisters in arms, our brothers in arms, and also our LGBTQ community. And that's another stigma associated with sexual assault. Mm -hmm. And so for us, we're really trying to change the status quo. We're really trying to change what those norms look like because it's not the norms anymore. You know, traditionally, your military was composed of men and they're still the highest serving percentage. However, the percentage of people entering the military are your women, right? It's growing at a, at a rapid uh, rate and also your LGBT community. So um, for us, I think that um, there's just still a lot of work to be done. I am a United States Navy veteran as well, so it's nice to be sitting next to you um, knowing that we are, are in this fight together, but also knowing that we're part of that change that's taking place and it's positive change. Um, but you know, there's, there's always going to be some level of resistance when you're trying to change a narrative that has been instilled for the last 50 years. So when we talk about sexual assault, this is not new folks. We are talking about sexual assault taking place for the last 50 years. That's problematic. So if the conversation doesn't happen now, especially in this type of platform, how else can we have that conversation? Right. So um, extremely honored to be here. Well, thank you, Stephanie. Myra. Hi, Tim. Um, thank you for having me here today along with uh, these very brave women. Uh, I feel honored to be here and uh, not only on behalf of my dear sister, uh, which I wanna wish happy birthday to, um, this is her third birthday uh, in heaven. So it's been so unreal uh, this whole time, but we've been fighting nonstop. Um, I am her older sister. Um, a lot of people would confuse us back then and say that I was the younger one. I don't know why, but um, yeah, it, it's been so hard, but it's an honor to be here today. Thank you. Absolutely. And you know, you and I met, wow, uh, so a little little time ago, maybe two years ago, uh, when this old burn pit uh, toxic exposure conversation, uh, Rosie Torres, a mutual friend of ours, an incredible lady, um, you know, and but but I wasn't unfamiliar to the situation, right? Um, you know, I think here at Grunstyle, you know, we're pretty in tune to all things uh, that's happening within the active duty and veteran community, uh, and when the situation of uh, your sister's murder had occurred, it, it really struck deep for us. Um, we were having conversations with our audiences uh, through our live platforms. Uh, we were even going to get involved uh, and start uh, billboarding around Fort Hood, uh, which has a, 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 a 
an egregious record of uh, uh, murder, missing people, uh, MST. Um, you know, I think the number is well over 150 people missing and murdered over the last four years of that uh, in just recent time. You know, so that's that's a problem, right? Um, and to hear the gruesomeness in which uh, you know uh, of of this particular crime uh, that happened to your sister, it is beyond reproach. Uh, that this should not have been happening anywhere in you know the United States of America, let alone the United States of America's military. We are proud to introduce the Grunt Style Foundation, a nonprofit devoted to servicing our service members, veterans, and their families. It's an organization that is built on three pillars, honor, integrity, and advocacy. We recognize those who have courageously served our country, and we're ready to go to the very steps of power on their behalf. We've done it before, and we'll do it again. From providing veterans with affordable in-home therapy methods, to championing alternative therapies to combat traumatic brain injuries, toxic chemical or heavy metal exposures, and more. Our approach is holistic and aggressive. Wherever our community is in need, we are there. Our mission is ongoing and will remain with support from people like you. Make our mission your mission, and together we can turn the tide. Someone has to. Visit www.grunstylefoundation.org for more information and join the change today. Could you share a little bit of what that story was like, you know, um, um, what she was experiencing? I know it's, I know it, it is a very emotional subject, but I think it's important that we, 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 we talk about it and exactly what happened. Right. So, um, she first, she signed up right away, um, to the army, uh, as soon as she graduated high school, she spent three days with us at home and shipped. Um, I still remember that day like it was yesterday. Um, we cried so much because we were always so used to being together. And she was the one who took the step and said, you know, I'm leaving um, not only to help my parents, but to serve my country and uh, just to try to do as many productive, positive things as she could for her for her own career. Um, we never thought that that day would have been uh whatever have led up to this um she enjoyed her service her training uh boot camp and um sure enough she got stationed in texas fort hood and we were initially very happy because she was going to be so close to home we live in houston so it was about a three-hour drive um so we got you know to be close again um after a couple months um her demeanor did start changing uh, as soon as she was stationed in Fort Hood. Um, she never really wanted to speak about what was going on. Uh, we had no idea that the military had such a dark background. When you think military, you think honor, service, you're proud of your loved one. Um, they took an oath, they decided to serve, and not everyone has the bravery it takes to do that. Um, you basically give your life away to this country. So it's it's... It was such an honor because we come from an immigrant family and Vanessa was the one who put her foot down and said, you know, I'm doing this. I'm doing this for my parents. I'm doing this for my family. And the way that we got treated is just unimaginable. Um, she was always a very happy person. She enjoyed running track. She enjoyed anything that had to do with sports, outdoors. That was her. So the military, she's like, I'm going to go do that. That's my calling. End of story. My mom was so against it. My dad was like proud, happy. 
it all leads up to her being sexually harassed in the military, um, which we had no idea of until the year 2020. And unfortunately, by that time, it was too late. I know I started seeing the first signs when um, she had suicidal thoughts in January of 2020. And that for me was just heartbreaking because I was so used to taking care of my sisters as if, they, you know, growing up as the oldest, you have that role as the second mom. Um, right away, I took my stuff. I went to see her and it was like, I, I found a person that I didn't know. And as much as I tried to push her to tell me what happened, she would not budge. She would just tell me, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, I hope one day you understand. Sure enough, a couple months after April 22nd, 2020, someone decides that it was okay to not only take her life in a much violent manner, uh, which I hate to repeat the words of what they did to her body and how they did what they did. Um, I, I strongly feel like she was sexually assaulted by that person prior to being murdered. And that's just something that um, there's no evidence. So a lot of people think, oh, no, like, you know, but why? Why would, you know, that individual have such a violent manner to take her life? It, it, I mean, it leaves you speechless. Um, the way that things played out and I'm sure people can search up the case and read the details because I, they can't come out for me. Um, it's just so hard to to say what they did to her. Um, but ever since then, we've been fighting nonstop um, all the way up to Congress, Senate. And um, unfortunately, those are the only people that have any type of power over the Army's jurisdiction. Um, Congress, Senate and uh, government office affair those are the only people that we can put pressure on to actually make the change that's very much needed because it's unfortunate what Janae had to go through. And uh, it it goes back decades, just like Stephanie mentioned. Um, it's unbelievable that we're still sitting here today with this generation, with the social media power that we have, with you know this platform. Um, we're still fighting for justice for many uh, survivors, for justice for current victims in the military, both active duty and discharged. It's unbelievable that up to this date, we still have to ask for for some accountability when, you know, before signing up, you, why would a civilian have more rights than the person that are signing up to defend the country? That's what I won't ever understand, um, that they, they're forced to be silent and they have the laws to do so to silence people, which is very unfortunate. So I feel like we do need to take a closer look and reform everything. Ferris doctrine by, <laughs> um, we're like, you know, in the 20, uh, 2022, we're not in the 1950s anymore. So I do feel like we all have to come together in some form, shape and manner and change the whole thing. Absolutely. I served in, um, when I joined the Navy, it was 2000, the year 2000. I served from 2000 to 2008, and I always had this feeling that um, I was I was taking the reins from the women who had served before me, and I was paving the way for the ones who were coming behind me, and that that the actions that I had taken were going to um, create change and create a better future for the girls who were coming behind me. And when I learned of Vanessa's situation, it was when she was still missing. It had been 20 years since my sexual assault, and I saw the I am Vanessa Guillen hashtag start trending. And I knew it was 
widespread. I knew it was an issue because we talked to one another and I, I felt like every female that I had talked to had some sort of either sexual harassment or sexual assault. Every single female that I had talked to had experienced something. And, but then when I saw that trending, it was almost like, I felt like I had failed the people who came behind me because I thought, you know, I reported it, but why is this still happening? And why is it happening to so many people? When you started seeing the stories that were being shared and how many people were, you know, kind of had similar stories. And, and I can imagine that when you were reading those stories, you were probably thinking that Vanessa may have had a story similar as well. Um, she just didn't get a chance to tell her story. But how did that um, make you feel, especially at the time while you were still looking for her? Like, how did it make you feel to see that, that hashtag trending and how it was impacting the military as a whole? You know, every time that the time when I found out that the hashtag was trending, I was very like took by surprise because I didn't imagine the number of uh, survivors and victims that existed. I had no idea. I, I honestly like I, I cried so much. I couldn't like I there was a point where I couldn't read them anymore because it, it was so um, emotional and only to think like, what did my sister not tell us? Like what? You know, um, maybe we'll never know um, what she had to endure for like the almost two years she she got to serve. But um, I can only imagine uh, that there was like there's reports that that confirmed that there was a number of aggressors um, that were sexually harassing her. So, um, you know, just it was so hard. But at the same time, it was those stories that would drive me as as a person to continue to advocate and fight, not only for my sister now, but for every single person that decided to share um, their stories. And even those that kept silent because it's just hard to talk about it. I I can completely understand. I mean, I've never served, um, but it's like, I see myself and my sister. Uh, that was the person that I grew up with. That was, you know, and I mean, we were like so close. Um, it, it's, crazy like I sometimes I think that this is so unreal that I'm like one day I'm gonna wake up and it's just all gonna go away but then reality hits and I find myself in congress or in a hearing and I'm like why am I here again oh because my sister and because they're so resistant to have the change be done that it's like what does it take what is it gonna take um I just feel like the stories of survivors and victims altogether were a drive for for myself for my family and for all the advocate groups and all the organizations that are coming together to to advocate for this did you feel a little bit like betrayed at the time because like if i had known that this was if our family had known that this was such a widespread problem in the military she wouldn't have probably joined so it's almost like eye-opening like wow i didn't even know this was an issue why is this something that nobody's talking about now because of vanessa we did start talking about it but prior to that it was almost like why were all these people keeping this quiet and i just feel like it, there's a huge problem because the monetary has their own jurisdiction their own jags their own attorney their own everything and it's like they have their own little world where they decide what they can and can't do they decide what goes on the media what doesn't go on the media to some extent of course because everything that happened over the last few years has just bashed them 
<laughs> back and forth. Um, and I hate because there's good service members out there that, you know, they want to do the best that they can for their career, for their family, for whatever reason that they have to do so. And they shouldn't have to take this toll because of the bad people that are out there. Um, it, it's, I mean, we could talk about this for hours, yeah. but yeah, initially I, I very, felt very much betrayed by, by what and happened. I feel like it's important to note that, that having this conversation is not, you know, I think there was like a phase where it was almost like an us, us versus them. And like the implication that sexual assault only happens to women and we all hate men or all men are potential predators. Um, but what we do when we have a conversation in that way is we isolate one another and then we're essentially just preaching at like-minded people or people who are going through similar things. And so I want to make sure that I point out to everyone that, that the intent of this conversation is not an us versus them, but it's really so that we can all open up this conversation. And for those who haven't experienced it or for those who are feeling like a slightly bit of, um, defensiveness and hearing it, uh, just to, to, I, I ask that you kind of, open up your mind a little bit and maybe listen and think, is there uh, a, a reason why I'm feeling this defensiveness? And is there maybe something that has happened in my life that I'm a little bit concerned about or on the edge about? And I'll, I'll get in a little bit later to the um, gray areas with consent and, and why I want to kind of talk about that. But but this this conversation and we need to really start moving forward and having a conversation that is inclusive of all people because we need all people to change in order for change to happen. We need everyone to be in, included in the conversation and transparent and feel safe sharing their perspective. Um, I wanted to ask, um, when when one thing that I, I notice is that when a victim speaks out or when there's a situation with a victim, there's, there's like kind of a silencing tactic. And typically that tactic is, well, let's wait for all the facts and then we'll talk about it. And I think especially in Vanessa's case, while she was missing, it was kind of like, everybody sit back, everybody wait, let us do our investigation and then we'll put out the information. Your family was like, no, we are not going to allow that. We're going to fight for her. Unfortunately, though, you didn't have really anything to kind of throw at them and say, look, here's evidence that there's potential wrongdoing. Do you feel like the I am Vanessa Guillen hashtag really was a way of kind of um, not allowing her to be silenced and not allowing her case to kind of be shoved under the rug? It elevated it and it gave you guys really the the backing you needed in order to push forward and, and find her as well as make change happen. Definitely. It was a huge um, impact. Because I, I recall when my mom when my mom first spoke to um, CAD, um, she brought it up. She said my daughter confided in me that I, she was being sexually harassed by a sergeant in her chain of command. Um, CAD said, well, that's not a crime. We don't consider that a crime. We're going to turn the other way. We're going to keep trying to find leads that were never going to happen because there weren't any. Um, they just completely ignored it and said, you know what, this isn't... Um, considered criminal in our book so let's look into the next thing or let's you know just continue our pardon stupid investigation that led nowhere um the stories that were shared proved that sexual harassment was 
a huge problem. It is a huge problem. They have programs for it. How can right. it be labeled as not, you know, it's yeah. not against the law or <clears throat> yeah. that, you know, this is beyond our scope and purview and our, be, our ability to look into. Like, that's nonsense. Yeah, right? it, and it completely one, shows that it's so permissive yeah. and it's so, um, okay, that's fine. And and I think you know, there's something there that I, I wanted to circle back on. Uh, and, and you said you were disgusted by the behaviors of, of the command and the way that they were treating the subject, right? And, you know, after reading your book, there was something that stuck out to me. And, you know, Stephanie, I'm sure I'd love to hear your your point on this as well. It's like, you know, you went through your 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 situation. Command went through the process of, of all that. And the next thing you know, dude that was, you know, you know, perpetu- pu- you know pushing this onto you and, yes. and these behaviors and, and all this stuff was sitting right next to you again in, in your class. Yes. And then, you know, followed you through your time in active duty. Like yes. what, what kind of garbage? You know, are, are these commands allowing to happen, right? Because sharps certainly isn't being followed, right? They they make they'll make us sit through all the classes, right? And they'll check the box and they'll say, yes, yes, you are now trained on sexual harassment, and we expect you to be good soldier, sailors, airmen, and marines. Well, that's not how this works, right? Especially when the command, you know, is willing to sweep things under the rug, to you know, not adjudicate, adjudicate uh, uh, effectively. Um, and whatever reasons you know that that come out of uh, of these investigations, uh, it's it's gross, right? And, and it's derelict of duty, in, in my opinion. Yeah. Oh no! Oh, I thought you were going to say something. Um, I noticed also during Vanessa's uh, case after she was found, and and I hope if let me know if I, I if this is too hard to hear, because um, one of the the tactics that that is used to kind of um, not address these situations is you, you know, let's wait for the facts. And that kind of buys time for some victim shaming or victim blaming, excuse me, some victim blaming. And then what happens is because they start to victim blame, everybody that's making noise starts to back down a little bit, right? Because they don't want to be aligned with whatever it is that they're being victim blamed for. Um, and then that gets pushed under the rug. And then these perpetrators are able to go on and continue to serve and do what they do in the military and, and also in civilian um, life. Um, I noticed though, one of the ways that they tried to victim blame Vanessa is they said that the reason that she was attacked, which I don't believe, they said that the reason that she was attacked was because she had known that that Aaron was having an affair and she told him, I'm going to tell your wife. And so it was kind of a way of them saying if she had just kept her mouth shut, she would still be alive today. Right. And so when we hear of these cases and and, and let me know if I'm wrong, and, and especially Stephanie, if you can kind of weigh in on this, my thought is rather than have that mindset of let's wait for all the facts and i understand you know uh, innocent until proven guilty and we don't want to we don't want to push people into that situation but when we get into the let's wait for all of the facts type of scenario my perspective is make more noise because that means that this is where we're going we're going to start going down that direction of finding something on the victim that we can use to take the attention away from what has happened and then kind of silence it, and then we all move away from it and no justice is served. What's your thoughts on that? Um, well, to put it into context, I think the, the Guillen family is a great example of what can happen when you apply pressure. And I think we talked about this very recently where we said, you know, had it not been for the Guillen family, we would not have seen such a huge outcry 
across the country, whether it was through a hashtag, whether it was going to Washington, whether it was coming out on TV, whatever it was, it took a family who was hell-bent on ensuring that somebody was going to give them answers, right? I mean, God forbid anything happened to me, but if it did, I would definitely want my family to be as um, active and to consistently push back because people are afraid to push back when it comes to leaders in the military or to an institution as powerful as the military. So for your family to come forward and then a family too that is a family of immigrants, is that correct? I mean, if this country is not founded on the basis of that kind of, of power behind what a family who gave their loved one to the United States of America and said, you know, thank you for everything that we've been allowed to, to build in this country. Our daughter is serving the United States of America. Our daughter is serving and defending, and this is what we gave back to the family. Mm -hmm. But what I think is incredible is that no matter how many times they ran in the opposite direction of you, you all consistently came forward and said, no, there's more. I want answers. Where's my daughter? Find my daughter now, right? And not that that's the way you said it. I'm just playing it over my mind, imagining it. But what that did was create this conversation that was a stigma in society, in our communities, in the military, where if you mentioned sexual assault or sexual harassment, it was something that was swept under the rug or it was something that was not taken as seriously. When we look at the numbers of the Department of Defense, we are still in a place where there is no movement. And data shows, data doesn't lie. The data shows that there is an increase. I don't know if that applies to people now feeling comfortable and, and sharing their voice or telling their stories or saying, you know what? I don't want to end up like some of these missing soldiers. I don't want to end up like some of these women that have either been killed or, or men that have committed suicide. You know, any of those factors that play into these decisions, people are now speaking up more than ever. And we really have to lend credit to a family that would stop at nothing until they learned what happened with their daughter Absolutely. And, and, and that that's important and you make a great point there like you know i, I served in uh, the united states marine corps you know when i was uh, I, I think i shared this story with you guys earlier today was you know um, in our workups uh, before our deployment um you know there was a rape in my battalion a, a male raping another male right and you know that's a real thing like so this is not uh, just male on female this is male on male this is you know this is a problem right and it is a national security problem uh, it is a cultural problem. Uh, it's you know something that we all need to be thinking about when we're putting our, our our children into the military. Right? I just put my 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 youngest son. Well, I didn't put him in there. He he chose of his own volition. But you know, my my son is now serving in in our uh, in the Navy. My daughter wants to join the military as well. And I'm thinking to myself, like, you know, of all the other things that are that that the world is you know we're we're we're, we're currently experiencing, right? You know. War, um, you know, uh, the economy, all that stuff. None of that is, means anything to me when I'm thinking about my children going in the military. I'm thinking about my children getting raped, right? And they're going to serve their country. Like, what the fuck are we doing? Mm -hmm. Right. I'd say that sexual assault is the is is a silent weapon of war. Um, it's it's you know I talk to 
people who have gone overseas and they've been sexually assaulted while they're deployed and they're afraid to speak up. So they have to just stay there and serve alongside the person who assaulted them, living in fear while they're supposed yeah. to be defending our country. 2004, Camp Liberty, Iraq, right? There was a, a major that was running a prostitution ring among all the officers in the, in Camp Liberty. And it was not by, um, you know, people wanting to get involved in it, right? It was a major expressing his rank over the people in his control and turning them into prostitutes in a combat war zone. Mm -hmm. Like this is real, this is happening. People like your sister are getting killed, right? We just saw another gal in Germany dead, right? We've seen, uh, you know, and then you, then you got a whole other conversation about our veteran community, mm -hmm. right? Where uh, the males and the females of our veteran community are, you know, domestic assaults and, uh, you know, uh, there was just one just recently. Takara Glenn. Um, and, you know, what's really sad about Takara's situation is that she was with an NCIS agent when it happened. And her husband, she had already filed a complaint with the Navy about domestic abuse in her relationship. Her husband was a Navy chief. He was a recruiter. And she had already filed a complaint. NCIS was sitting there with her. They knew that he was a threat. When he walked in, they allowed him to walk in. They allowed him to walk in the room because they thought he's just a friendly guy, knowing that they're sitting there with the woman who has a protection order. She has her baby in her hands and he stands over her and he shoots her multiple times in the head in front of this NCIS agent. And he gets outside of the house and then they kill him. Yeah. It's a, it's a real problem. Absolutely heartbreaking. And, and, and like you said, you know, these, these cases, there was a female, uh, a female Marine, I believe she was, in Hawaii, and she was experiencing domestic violence in her relationship. They were uh, dual military, I believe, and or she may have been a veteran. They were dual military, and she was experiencing domestic violence in her relationship. She was pleading. She was actually on the media pleading for help, saying, I can't get out of Hawaii. I'm stuck here, and I'm afraid for my life. On the side, she would do, you know, TikToks and just things on social media that may have been um, sexual in nature, just her embracing her own sexuality, okay? And um, her husband stabbed her on the side of the road in Hawaii. It was posted on some of these military anonymous pages that she had been murdered, and the comments were disgusting. Seeing my fellow veterans speak about this woman the way they did, saying that she deserved it, that that this you know it's what she gets if she hadn't been you know calling her names and stuff like that it was like they were right. celebrating the only, murder if she didn't have her only fans she'd still be alive exactly like, as if that yeah. deserved it you know and that's where that's where i keep talking about this this uh the victim blaming it's like you you find something that you can emotionally move people away from what has just happened and and then they all focus on that thing and we all stopped talking about what really happened, which was violence in our community that resulted in the death. You know, to, to segue into what you're saying, because I think it's very important from listening to you right now, is that I feel like people are becoming desensitized. Yes. They're hearing these stories and uh, cases that are surfacing, and it's happening over and over and over again. And it's, all, it's becoming a norm. And they're hearing it on such a regular basis that when the news tells you of another person mm -hmm. that has gone missing or another person that has been murdered or another person that has been found dead. 
it is not set it is not said with the scent of sense of urgency or empathy mm -hmm. it's almost as if hey guess what we found another person that's uh, been found dead and and i'm gonna i'm gonna switch this to denisha Mon Mon montgomery excuse me i twisted my words there in germany calling her family taking active steps to ensure that she returned home safely because she knew she knew with absolute certainty what was going to take place mm -hmm. and what happened she was found dead right and the narrative is that she killed herself when there's plenty of evidence against plenty of evidence well, detailing that that was not the case yeah. no i mean and i think anybody you don't have to be an attorney to know that that was not the case with this individual and so i make mention of this because i think it's a very important case i think it's something that we need to keep our eye on. I think we need to keep our finger on the pulse when it comes to this, um, because I think that we're going to start hearing a lot about this um, in the coming weeks. But also, again, it comes down to justice. We have a family out there that wants answers. And in this situation, we have a family where children are involved, two young children who no longer have their mother. Mm -hmm. And why? She has three, um, just she had three babies. But um, three, yes, even worse, and, right? You know, I mean, I want to talk a little bit about Denisha's story because, I, as you know, you guys know, I've been sharing this. The first thing I want to say is that when Denisha's story came out, I had just finished sharing. I'm not finished, but I had just kind of turned over the voice to uh, Madeline Coulter's family. So my goal is really to elevate the voice of the victim, but then turn it over to the family and let the family speak, right? And so uh, Madeline's family was starting to kind of talk. And then I start getting messages about Denisha's situation. And uh, Denisha was murdered or she was found um, dead on August 9th. On August 11th, I start getting a bunch of messages saying, can you help elevate her voice? Can you help elevate her voice? I gave a very well uh, written out story about what I knew about what happened to her. And I begged the community to share it with half a million people i begged please share it and like you said we're kind of dehuman human human i can't say desensitized. it desensitized um and so i'm begging everybody share the story share the story share the story august 11th nobody's sharing it and finally we get her in contact with a couple advocacy programs it gets shared on the news and now that it's a trending story people are sharing it and it's like when we needed it and when we needed them to share it the most it was really challenging to people for people to pick up and share it because maybe it didn't you know fit their platform or they just they wanted to wait for all the facts to come out so i want to talk about wait for all the facts to come out real quick when vanessa Guillen was missing the i am vanessa Guillen um hashtag started trending and it it raised awareness for everybody to start start sharing their stories now we're talking about do what denisha did denisha knew what her fate was and she knew that if she was found dead, how it would be portrayed to the public. And so she, prior to her death, made sure that her family recorded a video of her telling the story of her having been attacked by three people in her unit prior to that, a few weeks prior to that, one of them being her roommate. She shared that story with her family. She asked them to record the story and when it came time for the, the army to say that this was a suicide, her family, like yours, was like, 
absolutely not. We're not going to allow it. We're not allowing this jargon. And they released the video to the army and they said, we have proof. And that was able to get a, an investigation started. And so, you know, unfortunately, until this is something that is a thing of the past, it's really important that we start sharing that message yeah. of let, doing what Denisha did. Let, let's unpack that for a moment, right? <clears throat> you know, uh, the, the simple idea that a female or a, a service member in general or a human, just let's just call it a, a human in general, had to record their story, archive it, because they knew that they were going to die. Mm -hmm. yep. This should get everybody chills, yeah. right? That's happening that's happening in our military. Mm -hmm. This was less than 30 days ago. Yes. Yep. Less than 30 days ago, right? So, you know, I think, you know, with these conversations, right, uh, that, that we're just starting to have now, right? Um, you know, th and these conversations have been going on for 20, 20 30 years, mm -hmm. right? Um, but no, no solution is coming in place, right? They're just adding more policy, more policy, more policy, right? And, you know, the, the toxic command is... Uh, still there and allowing these behaviors to happen. They're still placing uh, individuals that have uh, been found guilty into the same classes of the individuals that are putting the, the names against those. Uh, the individuals that are going out murdering uh, others are not being held to the full justice of the law. You know, this is gross. This is this is beyond anything that I that I would I can I can say that is I would be proud of my military, right? Um, but I think that's where we have this responsibility. Right, we are stewards. We are veterans. Right, we are family members of those that have served. Right, it is. We've we've all seen this. I will trust me when I say this, and you guys probably know more than me. Um, but I would say eighty to ninety percent of of military members today have one degree of separation from a, a sexual trauma that has happened in their four years of service. Think about that. Four years of service. I think there's no better time to to really point out that if there's ever a time you question what your purpose was, right? This would have to be it. You know, to to be able to sit here at the table and say I am not only honoring my sister's birthday, but I'm here on her behalf and I'm here to change the narrative and I'm here to continue fighting and I now have a foundation in her name. And I commend you for that because some people get the answers they're searching for and then life goes on. But for you, life doesn't go on until you know that there's change for everyone. And, and I think that's incredible. And, and I have to make mention of that because for me, um, not that my opinion's always supposed to matter, but for me, I think it's very important to identify your purpose in all of this. Um, I know what my purpose is, and that's to continue to lend my voice to these um, topics, you know, to these situations, because I know that it, I'm not one to stay quiet, and I'm also one that will get as loud as possible. Um, and I know that that's your purpose as well, because you're using platforms to change the way that people are viewing this. And now for you to bring people to the table, right? To, to talk about this is huge, but to also mention that it's happening to men in a way that people aren't really lending um, attention to. So um, I, I have to make mention of that, that all of this comes down to purpose and that we're all here for a reason. And that if this wasn't important and if it wasn't an epidemic, we would not be sitting here having 
such an important discussion on such a big platform. I think it's it's one of the things we talked about last night. So last night we watched the VIP. By the way, Grunt Style showed up <laughs> at the VIP um, viewing of the um, I Am Vanessa Guillen documentary, which is an amazing documentary. And um, Grunt Style took up the entire front couple rows. We love that they were there. And there were some conversations that happened after that were really interesting and a little bit eye-opening. So some of the conversations that we had were um, kind of talking about, you know, of course, like a lot of the women were standing around and we had a few of the men standing around. And the question was, why are some of the men afraid to speak up on our behalf? Like what, you know, we're begging, hey, help us, help us speak up. Because like you said, this isn't just a woman's problem. There's there's men that are affected by it. There's the LGBTQ com community that's affected by it. But I started to think a little bit about and I had a bit of an epiphany on it is just that the 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 term or the definition of consent has been kind of gray over the years and it's evolved a little bit over the past few years especially after this conversation of us being able to share our stories really opened up and there was kind of some arguing over what consent really is and so i started to we we had like two groups of people that kind of had a little bit of an eye opening and it, it was on on you know on one hand um for the men who are afraid to speak up is there a possibility that, you know, you're kind of thinking maybe at now that the, the definition of consent has evolved, is, has there been a time in my life where a relation that I had wasn't fully consensual? You know, were we both drinking and I wasn't able to guarantee that that was a fully consensual situation? And so if I speak up, is there someone out there who might say, well, you know, this happened to me, you did it, so how dare you? And so I encourage for those who are men and women who are thinking, was there a time in, in my life where I had a relation that wasn't fully consensual or that may have been a little bit along those blurred lines now that that definition has evolved? Speak out about that a little bit, you know, you know, own up to it and say, you know what? Yeah, now that I understand a little bit more about consent, there are some things in my past that I'm a little concerned about, but I want to raise awareness about this. I want to help talk about it because I want this to stop. And then on the other hand, we had some of the women in the room who were saying, you know, now that we're talking about it and we're talking about how the definition of consent really has evolved. Now I say the definition has evolved, but the feeling of consent hasn't because we know when we feel like it just wasn't right. And so, now that the definition has evolved, you have some of us who are thinking, well, dang, you know, there was a time in my life where it didn't feel right. And just to kind of give yourself grace for how you responded in that moment, because maybe there was, you know, like you were, you were brought up in a, in a, uh, an environment where you just kind of just give it to them so that you don't have to deal with the backlash or you just, just, just do it so that you don't have to make them mad. And you had to live with that for the rest of your life. And so, I, I just encourage everyone who's listening and everyone here at the table just to kind of think about um, it in that way. And instead of us just being us against them or, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm mad because I didn't get to fully consent, just kind of thinking of how, how that has evolved over the years. And now we're able to have that conversation and hopefully make change in that way. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great point. You know, um, 
the the world is a changing place, right? Uh, what is accepted today was not accepted, you know, 20 years ago. Uh, and you can roll that clock back over and over and over and over again. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I still think that we all have a responsibility to each other, right? To make sure that we are, um, you know, being honest with each other, right? Um, you know, we're being good humans and we're addressing the things that are wrong, right? Uh, the see something, say something side of things, right? There's nothing wrong with that. Like what did, what's wrong with standing up for a little bit of conviction and saying, you know what, that's, that's wrong and that needs to stop, exactly. right? Uh, I think that's what we're all, uh, you know, we, we all have that imprinted upon us, um, you know, and, and, and it is uncomfortable. These are uncomfortable conversations, right? Sexuality is an uncomfortable topic to talk about in general, right? Um, you know, but this is the world that we live in and people are being hurt uh, because we are not willing to have these uncomfortable conversations. And I tell you that um, one thing I love about Grunt Style is that Grunt Style is always willing to get into the uncomfortable, the uncomfortable side of things, right? Because, you know, combat, as I understand, it, is an uncomfortable place. But those that, uh, you know, understand that thrive in, in those environments and, and bring the message forward, right? And they bring what the, the intent is uh, always across the line. Uh, and I, and that's what I think that this project is about, is you know, bringing the uncomfortableness of these conversations to the forefront, making people you know, have these conversations, having those conversations when you're sitting around the table with your family, with your friends, right? Um, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just honored that uh, we at Grunt Style have the opportunity to, to be involved in these conversations and, and use this platform that we've built over the years um, you know, for many, many great things, right? We are a business, we are a private institution, and we do uh, focus on making money. But you know, at the end of the day, what we are really here to do is make an imprint and an impact on people's lives. And the, the product and the company and the, the incredible people that are a part of this fuel that ability to make that happen. And that allows us to have these conversations with incredible people like yourself that have survived so much. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be in your presence. Um, and, you know, I think I look forward uh, to the conversations that this is going to spark, um, both internally within our company here um, and then, you know, nationwide as we you know, continue to push this content out and have these uncomfortable conversations. Thank you. Because this will defend. That's right. Yes. That's right. And that's a good. That's a good ending. <laughs> so there's that uncomfortable ending there. But uh, man, uh, you know, ladies, I want to say thank you, uh, you know, for you know your bravery and coming up here and having and having this conversation, and starting it. So, Myra, we've covered a lot of things today. How can people get involved? Well, there's definitely a lot more work to do. Um, both in advocacy and um, on the Hill with lawmakers uh, in order to get this change to be fully implemented. Um, I've started, uh, founded the foundation in honor of my sister. Uh, it's called the Ayn Foundation. Uh, you can visit it at Um Of course, um, donating, supporting, raising awareness on social media. Uh, and I'm also very excited and happy to announce that uh, we've been able to partner with Netflix and there will be a documentary um, November 17th. I am Vanessa Guillen. And it shows all the back work uh, that we've done uh, over the last two years. Um, and of course, this is going to bring this to another level. Uh, so I feel like it's it's the time to come together and you know keep fighting, keep advocating, and asking for justice. Excellent. And Stephanie, uh, if people want to learn more about the Pink Berets. 
They can visit us at thepinkberets.org. Um, and we also have a documentary um, in honor of Vanessa Guillen, and it's called Hashtag I Am Vanessa Guillen. That documentary is currently screening. Um, but again, you can contact us at The Pink Berets, and we would be happy to share that link with you. Fantastic. And finally, Janae, where can people find your book? My book is Perfectly Flawed. You can find it on Amazon or perfectlyflawedbook.com. But this isn't about me. Thank you, though. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you, ladies, and good luck. The Grunt Style Foundation is moving forward with purpose. Thanks to support from members of the community like you, we have begun to turn the tide in the fight against toxic exposure, PTSD, and veteran homelessness, among other things. This is a fight some people don't believe can or should be fought. Respectfully, they can sit on a cactus and spin. We are in this for our brothers and our sisters. So the challenge is accepted. Let's be the change we need. Somebody has to be. Visit www.gruntstylefoundation.org and donate today.